Before uh, our lectionary, our liturgist comes up, or you can come up, I have an introduction to the text today, which um, beautifully worked out. You know, Brad is doing this series, this year-long series on the historical Jesus, and he's assigned me about one uh, sermon a month, and he's given me themes to work with for each of those uh, in the series. And today's lectionary texts actually fit beautifully. So that was wonderful. Um, We have a selection from Job and from Mark. And in Mark, we hear the words, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In the Latin text, these words, have mercy, are translated as miserere. Think of les miserables. So there's this connection between the word for mercy and the sorry state of those in need of mercy, which is pretty interesting. Of course, the New Testament was written in Greek, and this is where it gets even more interesting. The Greek term translated as have mercy is eleison. And this is where we get our liturgical kiri, eleison, which means Lord have mercy, Christe, eleison, Christ have mercy. Uh, but we don't know exactly where this word eleos comes from. It seems to be very old, and the best guess that we have is that it's a sound word, an onomatopoeia, for those of you who love $50 words. It's a sound word imitating the cries of those in need. So just hear that for a moment. Eleos. So evocative. And we know that Mark is the earliest gospel, and therefore this is the first occurrence of this term in the New Testament. And it is spoken by Bartimaeus the blind. Of course, the idea of mercy or compassion is nothing new. We hear it throughout the Hebrew scriptures in the verbs racham or chesed, which relate to themes of loving kindness and even the kind of care that a mother gives to her baby while she's still carrying it. Certainly, these are qualities we associate with Mary, mother of Jesus, carrying the baby Jesus, as she flees to protect him, as she and Joseph search for shelter. So as you listen to today's text, I ask you to just think about that, about Mary caring for Jesus and about the cries of those whom Christ calls us to hear. Let's listen to the word of our Lord. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." They came to Jericho, and as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. 
Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him his way. Holy wisdom, holy word. Our children are so often our best teachers, aren't they? Any parent, relative, or friend of a child knows that. They teach us patience. Oh, yes. But more than that, they make us aware of the nearness of God by the sound of their laughter and the sparkle in their eyes. When we love a child, new worlds open before us. And that's not always easy. As children grow, they push us to grow alongside them to examine our our own assumptions, to adapt, to change. Sometimes, the hardest of times, our children may teach us by leaving us too soon, before we're ready. Even then, our children may teach us how to let go. How love lives beyond change or distance or circumstance, even beyond sickness, even beyond the grave. How God, who waits for us all, may appear when we thought all was lost. Surely Mary, mother of Jesus, can tell us something about these things. From the moment she said, here I am, to the angel of the Lord, Echoing the Hineni, or here I am, spoken by Abraham himself in response to God's call. To the moment Elizabeth blessed the child Mary was carrying. And Mary's response was to praise God in the very words of the psalm we heard today in our call to worship. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary was well versed in scripture. To the moment Mary pondered the words of Jesus in the temple. To the moment she became her own son's disciple. And we don't we don't know exactly when that was, at least not from scriptures. Maybe it was even that day in the temple. To the moment she well, we could say she nagged him to begin his ministry uh, at the wedding at Cana. To her almost certain presence at the Passover feast of the Last Supper, to the long Long moments that she spent waiting at the foot of the cross. And all the moments that came after that, as she and all the other disciples continued Jesus' ministry. The relationship between Mary and Jesus was marked by something transcendent. We could even call it compassion, but in the deepest sense of the word. As I said in this week's e-newsletter, compassion means to suffer with. Con equals with. Passion means to suffer. When I first heard the term Christ's passion on the cross, I didn't really understand what it meant because our current day association of that word isn't what it originally meant. It just meant to suffer. So Mary certainly suffered with and alongside of Jesus. And don't all parents suffer this way from every scraped knee every childhood illness, and well beyond childhood. Ultimately, perhaps, parenting is the art of letting go, 
moment by moment, day by day, year by year, until a lifetime passes. But never letting go of connection, of hope, of longing, of love, just letting go of control. (laughs) So hard to do. But when we let go of control, we're affirming our trust in God and in the power and goodness of God's plan for our lives and the lives of our children. I love this stained glass of Mary and Jesus saying goodbye as he leaves to begin his ministry. Just look at the expression of emotion on their faces. Even Mary, I'm sure, could never have imagined what God still had in store for Jesus and the world. So in today's text from Job, we hear of a different kind of letting go. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. My eyes are opened, and therefore I repent. So here's a description of the letting go of assumptions, you know, of of thinking that we know what God is all about or what you or I or any of us are all about. I had heard by my own hearing, my own thoughts, my own expectations, but now I see you with opened eyes, really see you. And I'm amazed at how blind I had been. This is the kind of seeing that Martin Buber refers to as the eye thou in his book by that name, which Sabrina has graciously ordered for our library and understand it's already checked out. We probably need a few more copies. It's a very important work. And I think one of the most important concepts in the book is the idea that by our act of being in relationship, we define not just how I'm relating to you, but how I'm actually relating to myself in that moment. Uh, When I relate to you as what Martin Buber would call an it, with assumptions or apathy or judgment or any number of attitudes that diminish your selfhood. I'm also diminishing my own selfhood. If any of you viewed the link that I sent in the e-newsletter this week, uh, you'll have heard author Brene Brown, whom Brad is very familiar with and did a series on last year, speaking about empathy versus sympathy um, and the difference between the two. And this really speaks to the I-thou Relationship, So I think it's worth watching again. And we'll view that video now. It oh, should be on the, just on the next. So what is empathy? And why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here. 
and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. I just love her descriptions. Um, now, I'll just say, I think she mushed. Oh. I think she mushed together apathy and sympathy because want a sandwich, not very sympathetic. Um, but so the first two ways of relating, I want to break this down a little bit. Um, and we, if we can get that next slide up, that would be just awesome. I, ca I call the apathy and sympathy, the first two ways of relating, what Boober would call the I-it relationship. They say, it's all about me. Apathy says, yeah, I get something's happening to you, but I don't really care. Just glad it's not happening to me at this time. Want a sandwich? Um, yeah, that's the part of that video. Now, sympathy goes a step further. Um, but it's still all about me. With sympathy, I'm aware of your pain, and I may even try to relate, to sympathize. But I'm relating from within my own experience. That makes me scared. Wow, I don't know how to handle, I don't know how to handle that, right? Now, I could actually speak for quite a long time on sympathy alone, uh, including the neurological changes that happen in the, yeah, sympathetic nervous system when we are in sympathy versus apathy or empathy um, because they fuel fight or flight and they influence crowd behavior. We don't have time for all of that. Um, maybe another time. But apathy and sympathy can both be ways of trying to feel like we're still in control. Yeah? When we experience something painful, we want to protect ourselves. That's natural. Um, so we distance ourselves from the source of pain, whether it's outside us or inside us. Wow, I just I don't want to feel that. Uh, and we objectify that person or even ourselves. You must have done something to deserve that. Mm -hmm. Maybe I did something to deserve that. So, right? So in this, in this slide, I call that the I-it or the it-it. Nobody's really connecting here not with any degree of empathy. And empathy requires that we take that step outside ourselves, And that can be scary, just as Brene Brown said. It means letting go of control, uh, admitting we don't know. I may know 
or think I know how I would feel in that situation. Therefore, I think I know how you feel. But guess what? Until I tune into you, I don't really know how you feel. Until I tune into myself, I might not know how I really feel. So by being present to another in this way, we actually become more present to ourselves. And by being more present to ourselves in this way, we actually make room for the other. So this kind of relationship sees both you and me, and I call it the I-you. Now, compassion takes this even one step further, I think, and says, not only do I see you, I'm with you. Let me companion with you. Let me journey with you, alongside you. Surely, compassion is the very foundation of social holiness in our Wesleyan tradition. Let me feed you, clothe you, build a house for you, as this church has done for so many years with the Habitat Builds. Let me build a school for you, as we've done in Thailand with the Grace Boarding School. In fact, compassion says, let us commune together. And so they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. Now we might ask, where's Timaeus, the father of Bartimaeus? In fact, Bar means son, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Why is the father not caring for his son? Why does Bartimaeus have to beg for his food? We might ask, why is the crowd, maybe even including the disciples, telling him to be quiet, don't make such a noise, don't bother the Lord? We might ask, but we know, don't we? As a blind man in that time, he was outcast, shunned, and shamed. You're just a beggar. Don't bother Jesus. We don't want to see you or hear you. You're an embarrassment. Hey, look at that beggar. Want a sandwich? But Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus. And what else? What does he ask for? Have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christe, eleison. Christ, see me in my blindness, in my misery. Grant me your compassion. Christ, see me. I'm outcast, persecuted. Have mercy on me. The mercy others have not shown. Christ, see me. I hunger for more than food. More even than sight. I hunger for grace. And in asking Jesus for mercy, Bartimaeus defines himself as a seeker after mercy. He isn't asking Jesus for money or clothes or even food. In calling out to Jesus, even when the crowd would silence him, Bartimaeus defines himself as a seeker after Jesus. Bartimaeus himself creates the I-thou relationship. And Jesus, son of Mary, shows compassion. 
In fact, in the version of this story in Matthew, the text says just that. That last slide, we are, Jesus took compassion on him, or I guess it's on your bulletin cover. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, you already understand. You already know what I bring, and I'm already with you, and we are already in communion. Your eyes already see me. And with that, Bartimaeus understood and began to follow Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, that our, our eyes may see, Lord, that our ears may hear your call always to deepen our compassion for others and ourselves. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.